I was 20 when he was given the conviction. I'm 38 now, and all the last 18 years have been is IPP. That's all I know from my adult life. He's done wrong years ago committing his crime, but he didn't deserve this. He should have had the determinate sentence of two years. Mm -hmm. um, so that was his original tariff, two yeah, years? Yeah, two years. Okay. And he's done 13 years in prison and five years on licence in the community. He's just been just trapped in this sentence. This is Bernadette Emerson. I went to meet Bernadette in Cardiff, where she lives with her two children. Her husband, Abdahali Suleiman, who came to Britain from Somalia when he was a child, has been in and out of prison for nearly 20 years because of his IPP sentence. How he's been treated is cruel. Um, they've taken his adult life away from him. They've taken his chance away to be a consistent father, a consistent husband. IPP stands for Imprisonment for Public Protection. It's an indeterminate sentence where a prisoner can only be released at the discretion of the parole board once they can prove they will pose no risk after their release. My partner was given an IPP in 2005 for a non-violent street robbery of a laptop. He's got, he's got a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. His last recall was in 2017. Once someone serving an IPP sentence is released from prison, they're given a 99-year licence. The licence conditions can be anything from curfews to what medication doses you take and when and where you can make visits. This means those serving them, like Abdulhali, can be recalled to prison with little or no notice if their probation officer or community offender manager decides that they have broken their licence conditions. There's an automatic review of the licence 10 years after they are first released from prison. The parole board can then decide to end the licence, change the licence conditions or refuse the application. How many times has he been recalled? He's been recalled um, four times um, and they've all been centred around his mental health. He even missed an appointment. He missed a medication appointment because he forgot about it. I remember that recall and when he missed that appointment they took him back to um, prison and then he had to wait four or five days for the medication to be administered. So if it was dangerous for him to miss one day of his medication in the community, how is it justified that he doesn't have to have it for five days in a prison? It just it does not make sense at all, none of it. This is Trapped, episode six. I'm Sam Asamadu, and today we're hearing Bernadette and Abdahali's story. And we're looking at mental health treatment and how the recall system works for IPP prisoners. Later, we'll hear from an IPP-serving prisoner, we're calling Mitch, who tells me how he is coping after his recall back to prison. I've come to the point where, you know, is there any light in the tunnel, should I carry on? And I've just said, the people that keep me going, it's like my family at the moment, but at the moment my family is slowly sort of dropping. The recall system is one of the many contentious things about the now-abolished IPP sentence. When you have an IPP sentence and break licence conditions, you can be recalled to prison for the rest of your life. The hopelessness of indefinite detention is cited as one of the major reasons for mental health issues in those who are recalled back to prison. I'm James Daly. I'm a member of the Home Affairs and Justice Select Committees in Parliament. 
about 1,600 people have been recalled to prison. I think a majority of those 1,600 people have been recalled to prison have been recalled for breaching a licence condition rather than actually committing a further criminal offence. Staggering when one thinks about it, that if you breach a curfew, you're then put back into a prison environment, potentially for an indefinite period. You know, and if that were to happen to you, for whatever reason, you went back in there and you thought, my God, I, you know, I just made a mistake and, and that was that the police have arrested me and put me back in. But the impact upon your mental health, just in general, in respect to decisions like that, must be immense. For Bernadette's husband, Abdelhali, who has never committed another criminal offence, it's had a huge impact on his mental health. Abdelhali spent his younger years in Somalia, where civil war raged in some form from the 1980s onwards. This last recall, he was diagnosed with PTSD on this last recall. The bipolar affective disorder was um, diagnosed before he had the IPP because of um, the war he went through um, in Somalia um, in his childhood and through the family members he watched die. So that's where his bipolar comes from, but the PTSD is because of the sentence. It's done that to him, the recalls, the going back to prison indefinitely, being neglected with his bipolar disorder as well. We are locking people in prison because they suffer from mental health problems. The Justice Select Committee, which James Daly is a member of, conducted a year-long inquiry into imprisonment for public protection sentences in 2022. They concluded, and I quote, the psychological harm of the IPP sentence on individuals is profound, and many IPP prisoners have subsequently developed mental health needs. You can't link risk of harm to simply because somebody has mental health issues. I mean, that's unbelievable. We'd have, we'd have millions of people locked up if we did that. The number of people serving IPP sentences who have been recalled to prison despite not having been charged with a further offence has soared in recent years. It's up almost a third since 2015. The last recalls being the worst of all the recalls because his medication was dropped. Um, to a low dose and, it was, and his mood stabilisers weren't being prescribed, they were taken away. So he was recalled back to prison because he wasn't managing his mental health and he missed an appointment. For the last 18 years, Bernadette has had to navigate a complicated system, speaking to solicitors, doctors, probation officers, prison and medical staff, anyone who could help her with her husband's poor mental health. After returning back to prison, he deteriorated more. I tried to get him um, a hospital transfer to um, help get his mental health treated. I was refused, he deteriorated more. Um, at that point then, he actually escalated to self-harming. I again put pressure on the psychiatrist, mental health teams, university health board to step in. They did step in. Um, and then they agreed that he needed to be sectioned into a mental health hospital. But before that took place, he was badly uh, injured. In 2018, on his fourth recall, Abdelhali received two injuries whilst in prison. I'm unable to give the full details about how these injuries were sustained, as getting confirmation of stories about violence behind prison walls is a struggle with little return. However, I can say that these were significant injuries that Abdelhali sustained to his head and one to his arm. 
So I don't know what happens in there, but the prison officers then um, asked for him to be reassessed because he was assessed for low secure mental health um, services in a hospital. They asked for him to be reassessed and he was then reassessed for medium secure services. That delayed the transfer. So um, that delay then he was actually suffering. When he was eventually transferred into a hospital, I flagged up the injury to the head and the injury to the arm. They sent him to a general hospital, but only x-rayed the arm. So he was then transferred back to prison after three months. Um, he was taken off his medication again and he was re-diagnosed from bipolar disorder to personality disorder. I was surprised to hear this. Abdelhali's re-diagnosis seems significant here. Being taken off bipolar medication can lead to a relapse of the patient and an increased risk of suicide. Dean Kingham, a solicitor who represents IPP-serving prisoners like Abdahali, told me more about such re-diagnosis. When I first started representing prisoners many years ago, um, it was the pure prison system, and if someone had a mental health condition or um, a mental illness, then they'd be required to be transferred to hospital. Um, but over more recent years, there's been a development of what's called the offender personality um, disorder pathway which has meant some prisons have actually developed OPD units within custody. So it's an NHS-led unit. The prison system is, is in a state of disarray, and I think this was an attempt by the authorities to try to ensure that um, the costs were kept down as well, because it costs significantly um, more to send someone to hospital and have individualised treatment than keep them in prison. So you can be referred to the OPD pathway without a formal diagnosis of personality disorder. I wanted to find out more about this offender personality disorder pathway and how it developed over time in the prison service. Everyone I asked about it said I should speak to Alva Alochlin, a leading expert in mental health law and a senior lecturer in law at the University of York. The way that it operates is that the offender manager assesses the person for whether they're they meet the criteria for the OPD pathway, and then the person can then be referred. But then what happens after that depends on the, the treatment units or depends on the progression units. And so some units do require a diagnosis, whereas others don't. And it's not really clear because we don't, mm -hmm. so the, the criteria, they're not publicly available for the entry into those particular units. Screening onto the offender personality disorder pathway is determined by if you are seen as a high risk. Being a high risk could be challenging behaviour, suicide attempts or a history of mental health difficulties that have been persistent over a period of time. What sort of traits would put you into that unit or get you referred? So it would be things like, they're, they're quite vague, so childhood difficulties is one, one category, mental health Difficulties is another category. Also frequent adjudications, so being found to have broken prison rules can also be a reason for meeting the, the criteria as well. So they're quite they're quite broad. I would say that under the OPD pathway, personality disorder is more or less a label for problematic prisoner, for somebody who's disruptive, for somebody who self-harms and for somebody who is thought to pose a high risk of re-offending on release. I found this point from Alva extraordinary. 
that the prison service have developed this diagnosis in order to label disruptive and problematic prisoners. I asked her how many IPP prisoners were diagnosed with having OPD. So according to the Ministry of Justice, about 96% of IPP prisoners were found to be eligible for the OPD pathway. Without context from the Ministry of Justice, 96% of IPP-serving prisoners having a personality disorder seems an incredibly high number. And the screening tools don't consider IPP sentence-related distress. So where did the OPD come from? Here's Dr Graham Towell, former chief psychologist at the Ministry of Justice. The backdrop to that was a thing called DSPD, which is Dangerous Severe Personality Disorder. You know, it sounds like it's a psychiatric disorder in and of itself. Of course, this wasn't invented by psychiatrists. It was invented by politicians. I asked Alva to tell me more about its history. The DSPD programme, so it, it came from the Department of Health and the Home Office. So they developed the idea for the programme together. So in, in 1999, it was first announced that the then New Labour government was looking at plans to tackle the problem of dangerous people with severe personality disorders. So according to the Home Office and Department of Health, you had kind of a group of people who were not treatable in hospital, or at least that psychiatrists felt that they couldn't be treated in hospital. They couldn't be kept in prison any longer because they were serving a determinate sentence. So they were being released out into the community and there wasn't really much that could be done in terms of preventing them from reoffending. you know, once they were released into the community. Um, so that's where the idea for the DSPD programme came from. So it was a kind of a combination of changing the law, so changing the Mental Health Act to make it easier to detain people with personality disorder under the Mental Health Act. Earlier, you heard that Abdahali was re-diagnosed in prison from having bipolar disorder to having a personality disorder for a time. This meant that he was taken off his bipolar medication, which Bernadette believes made him more ill. So both the DSPD programme and the OPD pathway are controversial amongst psychiatrists and psychologists. So, so say from the, from the point of view of psychiatrists, there are some psychiatrists who are worried about the entry criteria for the OPD pathway and the fact that you don't need a psychiatrist to diagnose the person or to, or to undertake a, any kind of diagnostic screening of the person before they can be screened onto the OPD pathway. So there's a concern that people who actually have a different mental disorder could be screened onto an, into a, a personality disorder pathway. So you might have people who actually they don't have a personality disorder, they have depression or they have schizophrenia or they have ADHD or something like that. And that could be missed because they are being identified as having a personality disorder on the basis of, again, criteria that are quite ambiguous. This feels like a way to pathologise IPP-serving prisoners, and whether it's intended or not, has had the result of preventively detaining them. So it could be that someone's mental health might have deteriorated while they're in prison, you know, as a, as a result of the IPP sentence, and then that is sort of being well medicalised or turned into a, a personality disorder problem. And again, if we don't have the involvement of a psychiatrist, then that's problematic. But then also the personality 
disorder construct itself is already problematic because it's based on people's behaviours. So if somebody is acting out in prison, you know, if they would be acting out in prison and they wouldn't be acting out if they were in the community, they might be more likely to be identified as having a personality disorder in prison, whereas actually it might be the situation that they're in rather than something within themselves that means that they're acting out. If somebody is in prison and they are violent in the prison environment or they are doing various other things, what, there may be an explanation for that, but there is something to suggest that this person's behaviour is concerning. What I think with IPP prisoners is I don't see that with a lot of them. I see, you know, it, some of it's related to mental health and things like that, but it's not related to, and it's further, not related to the reason why they were convicted, you know, in the first place. I mean, it's very difficult to say. Somebody gets a three-year sentence and they've been in prison for 13 years. The only logical reason you can have in, at the end of that as to why somebody potentially would be a risk to the public is what's happened to them when they've been in the prison environment, not what they did 13 years ago. And so the whole system has to ask itself these questions. Back to Bernadette, and I asked her to tell us more about her husband's current mental health condition. At the moment, can you, can you have a coherent conversation with him? I can speak to him, but he's not him, he's not there. I would describe him as delusional. He believes there's people in his cell with him. There's nobody in there. He's in a cell on his own. He believes they visit him in the night. He believes he got black magic being done on him. Like he's very, his symptoms are very um, easy to spot. You know, you can, he's very ill, mentally ill. And um, again, he's off medication. It's, it's also true to say that um you know, prison staff are not trained and knowledgeable about mental health in the, in the same way that people in a mental health facility would be. Here's Dr Joe Shingler, a forensic psychologist. Understanding what's happening, spotting the signs of sort of personality fragmentation or you know, people becoming, becoming mentally unwell. And then, you know, the prison service itself isn't necessarily equipped in a specific prison to support people in the way that they need to be supported, um, you know, to access medical care medical treatment, as in, you know, medication. I think there are, I would imagine there's a lot of people in a lot of distress with mental illness and suffering in prison. And, you know, it may be with treatment and support and medication, those people could fun could function in prison. Um, you know, so I think there is a role for better mental health treatment in prison. Um, and there's also a role for, you know, understanding who perhaps, who needs to be in psychiatric hospital earlier in the process. Whilst making this series, we've been contacted by many people who want us to tell their stories. One of these people is Mitch, who is serving an IPP sentence for robbery. He was released and then recalled back to prison in 2018 for a breach of his licence conditions. He told me more about the impact that this has had on his mental health. Um, I got mine in 2007. I got a two-year, one-month tariff. I got out in 2000, uh, beginning of 2018. So I did about, what was that, 10, 12 years, 13. I've been back on recall now, five, five, this is my fifth year now. Okay. I've had knockbacks, I've had obviously to deal with the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. I lost um, members of my family and all that. So obviously over the years I've got like um, a, a bit messed up in head where, you know, come to the point where you know is there any light in the tunnel should I carry on and obviously said the people that keep me going it's like my family at the moment but at the moment my family is slowly sort of dropping 
and it's, it's hard for me to keep it a lid on it. You know, I'm struggling more on this recall. My mum was diagnosed with cancer two years ago, and as I said, the relationship with my mum and dad are rocky anyway. Try and explain to her whilst five, year, five years down the line why I'm still in it. You know, I didn't commit a further offence on this recall. It was just a, a breach of my body conditions. You just at a different address. Yeah. What happened the day that you were recalled back? Basically, the, the police had come. Because um, I've got a red flag when it comes to being arrested, like I'm responsible and that. Cause some, I was years ago, I was violent. Yeah, my partner thought it was all going to kick off. Literally, they said, it doesn't really matter. You're going back to prison. And I just said, I just went quietly. Years ago, I would have, um, I would have fought with the police. But, you know, obviously, my mum was upset, my partner was upset, I was upset because I got recalled. No no reason why, because the police wouldn't actually give me a reason why, that on the actual warrant, what I was being arrested for. They just said, well, probation's recalled you, that's all we got to tell you. I think it's just upsetting that I got recalled for not committing a further offence, for something that I was making a go of out there. How have you been since you've been back in? Um, not 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 like I was before. I'm contemplated obviously the self harm issues. Obviously, like I said, I wasn't going to let the system beat me at the time. But at the moment, as 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 the years draw on, it's just faults in the back of my mind. Just you know, it pops up thinking, do you know what? Is it worth carrying on with this sentence? Because I'm here for the, it seems, that's what it is. It, it seems to be a lot, it is a life sentence where I'm never going to see the outside world again. And the thing is, I've got a lot of plans in my head that I want to do before I die. You know, with work, starting my own business, um, just being active, just being back to my normal life. And I don't think I'd get it 100%, but obviously I still want to try. You know, with working that, I, I, I'll still be able to do, but other, other, Parts, you know, even with the license conditions that I've still got. It just seems that, you know, I don't know, it's just life's a bit, yeah, it's, it's in the balance. As you can hear, Mitch is clearly dealing with a strain of recall and the feelings of hopelessness which this IPP sentence induces. I asked Bernadette to tell me more about how and why recall went wrong for her husband, Abdelhali. So if he his symptoms presented or he missed medication, he was going back to prison and he was going without treatment. And that's, that led to recall after recall, that did. When Abdelhali was released, he had his mental health medications put on his licence conditions, which made it harder to reintegrate back into his community. When he came back in the community, I did try to get his medication put back up, so did he. And we, they said they'll have to notify probation and you're gonna, he's going to get a recall. So we had to say, no, we'll, we'll leave it. And then from there, he's just deteriorated over the years. So probation are dictating what his, Mental, well, his medical doses his mental health should be? compliance, yeah. Doses, oh, wow. what doses he should be. Because if he's requiring his dose to go up, probation then say, well, he's not managing in the community. He needs to go back into prison because he's a risk. Where he won't be treated. Yeah, where he anywhere. won't be treated and get back to normal. Being released from prison and back with your family would be, for most prisoners, a relief. 
But people with IPP sentences, like Abdulhali and Mitch, know only too well how this induces anxiety. One mistake could put them back in prison indefinitely. This has led to some attempting suicide and taking to self-harm because of a sense of desperation, uncertainty and a deep-seated anxiety. So you always feel like anything you do, even if it's just, I don't know, you just, if you go off out, I don't know, for a day out with family and you've got an appointment that, you know, you've got to be back for, you, you know, you just don't feel normal or you feel like you're not even allowed to leave the same city. You've got to be careful what you're doing. If you want to go to a beach and it's just outside your city, you're going to get a recall for that. You're breaking your conditions. They can even recall them on suspecting they're going to do something, which I don't think is fair. It's not a life. You're not living a life. You just, you just can't be normal. The probation service wish to mitigate the risk to an extent which is unreasonable and not necessary and is, is creating the circumstances where more IPP prisoners are being recalled back into custody for breach rather than actually for what they should be recalled if they're committing criminal offences or if there is evidence that they are a risk to the public. Bernadette has taken on the role of a caseworker for her husband. It's a role many families of IPP-serving prisoners whose mental health has declined because of the IPP sentence have had to take on. Before all these recalls, and this la the last recall especially, I never had to advocate as much as I do now because of his injuries, because of the neglect to his mental health and because of the community treatment order being on his licence. That's put so much pressure on me to do as much as I can to support him and advocate for him now on this recall because it just seems like he's stuck in this recall, that that's how it feels. But before 2017, I never had to do this much. He, he, he doesn't know he's ever getting out. And I think that that must be the worst feeling for an IPP locked in a prison cell, not knowing when they will get released or if they ever will and just sitting there thinking, I'm gonna grow old in here. This is all I have. When they're watching other people who've committed more serious crimes, going home, getting their lives back. You, how can you justify that? I was making a thing for myself. I was making a future for myself. And obviously, like I said, since the recall, you know, I've still got plans that I want to make futures, but it's just going to be a lot harder now because I know how easy it can be taken away from me again. Yeah, it's just, just yeah, it's just messing my head because, like I said, I don't get why that I've been recalled that they couldn't work with me rather than just lock me up and just leave me to fend for myself because that's what it feels like sometimes when they're doing the sentence. That we're just, we're, you know, we're just left alone and nobody cares. It's like being abandoned, really. You said, and, and forgive me if the terminology is wrong, that the IPP is staying on the criminal justice system. Yeah. Do you think a political system should allow somebody who's received a two-year tariff to potentially serve over 40 years in prison? On the 18th of July 2023, the Secretary of State for Justice, Alex Chalk, was questioned by the Cross-Party Justice Select Committee. James Daly started the line of questioning to try and pin down Chalk to take some action on IPPs. 
I, I have probably said more lurid words of condemnation about IPPs than uh, any other Secretary of State. I think they were, I, I reiterate that they're a stain on the justice system and uh, a stain on the conscience of the justice system. What my concern, Lord Chancellor, is that we are getting away from people being a threat to the public and keeping people locked up because they've got mental health conditions. And the, the, the Since he made the statement, Alex Chalk has stated to a journalist that he is looking at changing the IPP licence conditions from 10 years to 5. This has yet to be actioned. Meanwhile, for Mitch, who's back in prison again, and for Bernadette, whose husband stole a laptop 18 years ago and has now got a permanent disability because of injuries he received in prison, this is little comfort. Do you think he has any hope? He has hope for me. I'm the one that gives him hope. If I wasn't there for him and I wasn't giving him that hope, I really don't know what, what his mindset would be because I know that other prisoners in that prison with him have, have lost all hope, which he's told me in the past. They just they don't believe anything's ever going to be done about the IPP. My name is Shirley Tabono. I'm downstairs in the uh, lobby area and I'd like to speak to Martin Jones, the CEO of the Parole Board. In episode three, you heard Shirley and her son Sean's story. He had been recalled to prison for the fourth time and Shirley has been campaigning for over 15 years to get justice for Sean and other IPP-serving prisoners. I joined Shirley as she travelled to the Parole Board HQ in London to lobby the CEO to stop delays to Sean's parole review hearing. Nobody wants to be accountable for the deaths, the failings. Nobody wants to be accountable. And the only way to do it is people like us to get out and do this. Make people accountable. It's fantastic to finally be able to report some good news on this story. In September 2023, Shirley heard from their solicitor that Sean had been granted parole and is now waiting to finally be released. If you want to get in touch, you can find me and the team on X, formerly known as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or TikTok at trapped underscore pod. If you want to do something, you can tell a friend to listen to this series. Knowledge is power, and the more who know, the harder it is for injustice to take place. If you want to do something more active, you can write your MP and tell them to raise questions about IPP prisoners in Parliament. To keep up to date with the Campaigns for Justice, search the hashtag JusticeForIPPs on social media. Please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and stay tuned for a new episode dropping soon.